You're listening to the Footprint Coalition's Downstream Channel. Today, we're continuing our deep dive into humanity's relationship with waste. Robert and Rachel, please welcome Daniel Carraway, the co-founder and CEO of RWDC Industries, has made it his mission to rid the world of plastic waste. This serial entrepreneur's new business is making PHA, a sustainable alternative to plastic. Daniel is a leading authority on biopolymer development and commercialization, who has invented and commercialized more than a dozen new bio-based polymers. We brought him on to help us understand how RWDC hopes to solve our plastic crisis and the challenges they are prepared to take on. Hello, Daniel. My gosh. Well, good afternoon, Robert. It's really great to talk to you. And uh, thank you so much for your support of RWDC and, and especially the things that RWDC is trying to support. We're really big fans of what you're trying to do to, to raise awareness and, and implement some of the things that we all know we need to do to improve our environment and especially people's health. Well, I, you know what? Uh, well put, and and thank you for joining us. It, it's so funny. I hear your dialect; it warms the cockles of my aorta. And then so it doesn't, I, doesn't sound like I grew up in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Here's what I appreciate: is full disclosure. We're investors and and huge supporters of RWDC. We believe that you guys can be one of the prime movers in finally addressing this issue. But again, for the downstream channel and what we're doing, this is uh, we're hoping to make a bit of an informational superhighway. Uh, Rachel Kropa does not have an incomplete education. I am a little bit stupid about everything. So the best part of today is we get to ask you questions, pick your brain, and fit you into the larger topic format today of waste and what to do about it. So Rachel, because you're lovely why don't you hit him with the first question well i actually heard a little bit of this once upon a time and i wanted to hear it again the way that you say it because it's so lovely tell us about your childhood and how that shaped your your interest in the environment oh sure well i i grew up in a very rural area of the deep south as you can probably tell as robert already keyed into that <laughs> and i grew up in in an area where there weren't very many people but there was a lot of wonderful nature around and so uh, I was just fascinated by, by how things worked in nature. And so all of my life I've been investigating how can we as humans work in harmony with nature and use natural processes and natural materials so that we can have the things we, we need and we want to improve our lives, to make us comfortable, to enable us to enjoy the, the beautiful things about nature but really do that in a way that doesn't take away from nature. I, I know, you know, for many, uh, many decades, uh, a lot of people have thought about ownership of the things that are around us. Uh, I like to think of it more as stewardship. We, we should be good stewards of the natural resources that we have. And of course, use them to, to make our lives pleasant and productive and nice, but do that in a way that does not diminish those natural resources for the following generations. And so growing up as a, as a child in a very rural area, I had a, a great uh, laboratory to explore that in. It was either get in trouble or look at nature. Uh, so that's one of, one of the advantages of growing up in a very rural area. And so all of my, um, my formal education up through uh, a PhD uh, has really been focused on natural systems and natural processes. 
And uh, there are just so many good options that we have for working in harmony with nature and enhancing our environment and, and still be able to do everything that we enjoy and everything that we like that makes us comfortable and, and we have pleasant lives. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the, you know, the opportunity I had to grow up in a, a very rural uh, setting in the middle of nature was a big inspiration for me uh, for that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Rachel collected her trash for a day. We put it under a surprise box and lifted it at the top of our show today. And guess what? It was almost all entirely plastic. And as we know, that has become so at the forefront of the, the mandate. That's what we got to fix. So why did you decide to go into the materials industry to begin with? Well, I, I saw what we were doing, as you say, with plastic. And, and one of the things that plastic has enabled us to do is, is a good thing. We've been able to distribute food more broadly. Uh, we can enjoy fresh food, even if it comes from the other half of the hemisphere um, that we're living in and even from the opposite side of the planet. So functionally, the plastics that we've been using have enabled us to do a lot of good things for people. Uh, the sad thing is it's been a terrible thing for the environment and it's, uh, we're, we're beginning to see that now. And so I, I wanted to have an approach that enabled us to work on the front end of that. We have to have a dual approach, right? We have to clean up the mess that we've made, but we also have to stop making the mess. Uh, I, I like to tell this short story about when I was just entering my undergraduate education, I had a professor who stood in front of a board and he set the class down and he just took a marker and marked all over the board and said, look, what are we going to do about this? There's the mess. We've got to clean that up. And so the students would naturally get up and erase all the markings from the board. And just about the time we got it erased, he would just mark all over that board again. And it took two or three tries before we realized we had to take that marker away from that guy. Mm -hmm. We were never going to fix that. And so that's what we have to do. We have to stop putting all this plastic into our environment. And then at the same time, we do need to have good approaches to cleaning it up and making it better. So my motivation was to stop making the mess and utilize materials that would naturally have broad end of life options that we could, we could cycle back in the carbon cycle and the natural material cycle and they did not accumulate and cause problems after we finished using them. Because we do wanna use these materials to to get food safely, broadly distributed, and many of the other things that packaging does for us, but we mm -hmm. just have to choose different materials. And the materials are there. Nature has provided the materials for us. We just need to put the, the work and the creativity and the persistence and the resourcefulness that, that you know human beings have, we need to focus that on, um, on causing these uh, problems to be diminished instead of enhancing them. And, and I think pe people naturally have that curiosity and they have that desire to do better. And, um, you know, those of us who are, are involved in this, we just need to continue to provide the leadership to show people how it's done. And then we'll have a, we'll have a massive following, I think, as people understand that we can do better. Here's a strange question, kind of. Do you think that plastics have become greener over time? 
just, you know, as you've kind of been working on this problem, as you've come to what you think is the best result, you know, have, have you noticed that plastics have gotten a little better since the time you grew up? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, we've made some efforts, um, but we, we really haven't done a good job of, of really making a significant impact. And our efforts in the, in the, even starting in the 70s and 80s, we started talking about recycling. It just doesn't work. There are less than 5% of the plastics that are made every year actually get recycled into another use. Now, somewhere, you know, in, in some parts of the world, it's better, but I'm talking about globally, as a global average, less than 5%. And we've been working on this for the last 40 years. Um, and, and we are doing better in some small focused areas. Um, in the Nordic countries, they have actually done better than, than any other parts of the world. And so, you know, it's really encouraging to see what they're doing. And, and I know they're proud of their efforts. Um, but from a practical standpoint, no, we have not done any better. Uh, and, and it's largely because it's not possible to make it work in, in an economically viable way. If we're gonna, if we're gonna do better in the, in the near term yep. and have it sustainable, it has to make sense financially. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's going to have to be changes in the technology and the way we look at plastics. Um, it may have to come down to, and certainly will involve some regulatory um, efforts. Um, but I think we're, we're finally becoming sufficiently aware of the problem that maybe we will begin to make some progress with combinations of developing new materials and using our current materials more wisely. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, you know, it's sad to say, I don't think we've really made any appreciable progress. Um, and we've been telling ourselves for the last 30 years, well, let's just, let's just do a better job of, of recycling. And the producers of the materials have said, you know what, Robert, it's your responsibility. You have to go do better. And Rachel, you have to do better. Yeah. And and people are trying, but the infrastructure currently does not exist. You know, if Robert wants to go and recycle all the types of plastic that, you know, he encounters in a day, it's not possible because yeah. most most communities don't have the ability to take in many of those plastics and recycle them. Uh, so we we've not done very well. It's a convenient place to to play the, the the shell game where focus on what we could be doing with recycling plastic that isn't green as opposed to getting to a plastic that is bioluminescent. So what really, really qualifies as green plastic in your estimation and why is PHA different from other plastics that we're used to? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think one of the one of the really important aspects of plastics that we're would enable it to be truly green is not having microplastic residues. It's, it's astounding how bad the microplastic problem is. And we're only now just beginning to realize the extent of the problem. We know now about microplastics, about what we knew about cigarette smoke in the 1960s. We knew we were beginning to understand in the 60s and 70s, you know what, you better stop using tobacco and smoking it because that stuff will kill you. Well, that's what we're learning about microplastics right now. Lake Geneva is probably one of the more pristine lakes in the world and there's microplastics in it. Oh wow. And the fish that come from it and the food that we eat. 
if you're going to call yourself a green plastic, you should not have microplastics as a result of the materials that you're making. Mm -hmm. PHA is a material that is completely microplastic free. Every living organism on the planet utilizes PHA in its normal metabolic cycles. And so it's the ideal choice to use for our food packaging, our food service, many of the articles that we, we make and use every day because not only do our bodies know how to use PHA as an energy molecule, but every other organism on the planet can utilize PHA. And so it gets completely utilized as, you know, when we're using it for a packaging material or a, an article that replaces the single use plastic, it functions well. Then we have all the, the standard recycling options, which we're not doing a very good job of now, but at least we have those if we can if we can begin to get the infrastructure to make that work better. And, and in addition to that, when they reach the end of their life, they just recycle back into carbon and, and hydrogen and oxygen so that, you know, we haven't taken anything away from the environment. We're in those natural carbon and water and, and nutrient cycles that make nature work so well. Hmm. And so a green plastic is one that number one does not result in microplastic residues and number two it gives many many end-of-life options for when we finished with that that article and it the the materials from which it's made are part of the natural carbon and nutrient and oxygen cycles so that we we don't really diminish nature when we're utilizing these materials to make our lives better can you say a little more about the intended end of life then? So you, I know that you've been working on plastic films from, from everything like that to cosmetic containers, right? Maybe that are a little thicker. So how do you differentiate within all of that range? You know, what, what the end of life is in each case? Yeah, and that's a, that's a really important uh, question to explore because the, the end of life options are going to be different depending on where you're located on the planet, you know, how your community is set up in terms of its infrastructure for handling materials uh, and also the application that you've made. So let's talk just a minute about where where you are on the planet. Let's let's say that you're in a venue where you have a, a, a university setting. I, we're in a town that's a university town and so we have this wonderful opportunity to take university food service materials and put them in this beautiful composting infrastructure and so all of the food service items and food packaging can go into the compost and then we can use that for you know landscape applications and all those wonderful things uh, so if you're in a venue where it's a closed loop it's, it's the perfect material and its best end of life option is to go into some kind of composting operation wow but what if you're in an area uh, well, like where I grew up in a very rural area where there is no infrastructure for uh, large-scale effective collection, well, then you've got options of home composting where you can use on a, a smaller scale but still put the material into a composting operation. If you're in the middle of Manhattan or Los Angeles or pick any large metropolitan area where there's an infrastructure to recycle, then you can gather those materials up and, and they work very well in recycling. So it depends on where you are, what the usage of the materials are, and actually what the articles are. So we just have to be 
you know, fairly thoughtful about, um, you know, what those options are. The beautiful thing about PHA is it enables almost any end of life option that you may need based on where you're located and what the infrastructure is like around you. There are many places in the world, especially in, in Southeast Asia and Africa, where, as we all know, infrastructure is not nearly so well developed as it is in, in Western Europe and in North America. And so in those settings, what we're trying to do is have a material that doesn't cause harm, regardless of how it ends up, you know, whether it's properly collected and managed and recycled or whether it escapes a solid waste management system, it's not going to cause harm regardless. So PHA is acronym for? It's this terrible long sound. That's why I need to make you say it, brother. <laughs> so uh, the word is polyhydroxyalkanoates. And so obviously we don't want to walk around saying polyhydroxyalkanoate every time we're talking to someone. And so PHA just happened to be a nice little an acronym that we could use. I love a good acronym. <laughs> By the way, I would love to be at the point of receipt when there's a huge shipment of materials by RWDC that are going to be deployed into a closed loop system just to be there in market as things kind of open up and travel and contact are a little less daunting. I really want to make it a point to to be able to uh, witness that. A couple questions about the company, uh, where it's at and, and what your vision is. So three-part question, uh, biggest obstacles that you're looking to solve, how many folks currently under employ, and ultimate goals five to 10 years from now, where would you imagine it, with wild success RWDC will be? Yeah, great question. So today, our company operates in Athens, Georgia, and we also have another operational center in Singapore. Total between Singapore and Athens, Georgia, about 116 people now. Um, and our plans are, are to expand very rapidly. We have just recently hired JP Morgan and Citibank to help us raise a billion dollars in new capital to expand our production capacity globally to a minimum of 500,000 tons. And that's based on what our first five customers are asking us to deliver to them between now and 2025. So we're, we're very excited about um, our expansion plans. When, if we could make 5 million tons today, it's still not enough. Sure. And so what we want to do is, um, is really you know, get people involved, rapidly expand our production capacity, and inspire others to join us in making these types of materials. Our biggest obstacle, Robert, you ask about, is it's really, it's really not an obstacle, but our biggest hurdle right now is to find the people that want to join our team to expand these production capacities around the globe. So we intend to be producing in Europe, in North America, in Southeast Asia, in South America, and have distributed manufacturing around the world so that we can get these materials into the hands of people as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible, and begin to replace single-use plastics that are, that are really, um, you know, really a big problem right now as we're all recognizing. So five years from now, we expect to be providing over 500,000 tons of material annually to large global brand owners who are really working diligently 
to serve their customers better. And our job is to help them be a hero to their customers. So, you know, when Rachel walks in and goes, hey, I love your product, but you got to start doing better with your your packaging and your your plastics use, they can say, well, guess what? We're working with this great group, you know, that uh, that the Footprint Coalition is involved with, and they're going to be providing materials that are going to meet exactly what you're asking us for. So I, I guess the second biggest hurdle is we want to ensure that, um, you know, we're working together with, with you guys and others to help brand owners understand help is on the way and we need to, we need to partner in a, in a way that helps them get these materials into their operations as quickly as possible. Uh, and just so you know, Daniel, I am that person. I am the person who goes in and says, take this away. Why would you give this to me? Um, yeah. and, and definitely tries to demand better options. So one thing that's become kind of a conversation point for, especially in California, obviously, is, the, is plastic straws. And I know that we've talked uh, sometimes about stirrers and straws and little bits and things that people um, use in everyday consumption. And so why do you think that that was that that was a place people started aside from the fact that you know they obviously don't do terribly well in the recycling system is my understanding we we started with the straws and the stirrers because they were so visible you know i think back to one of the pivotal moments that impacted you know the way we were dealing with seal populations there was this photograph of a baby seal being you know clubbed to death for goodness sake and uh, you know that graphic image really sparked people's um, really their their initiative to say, look, we have to change this. We saw the same thing with a plastic straw that had impacted a, a sea turtle, and all of a sudden, overnight, people were aware. Oh my goodness, look what we're doing! This is horrible. We have to change that, and so. Our brand owner customers, of course, that was very concerning to them. And so we just picked the place where our brand owners needed help the fastest and the quickest. And we said, we can help you with that. And, and that's really what we do. We listen to our brand owner customers. They tell us where they need help. And we work very diligently to respond to that as quickly and as efficiently as we can because these large global brand owners are really one of the keys along with, you know, the Rachel's of the world who are telling them, look guys, you gotta do better. And then when they listen and they respond, RWDC is here to help them. And, um, and so as we build confidence with our brand owner customers that we're the place they can come to for help, that's gonna enable us to accelerate the solutions around the world. It sure seems like scaling the technologies, obviously, Unless there's a B in front of your effort, and if you can leverage a billion dollars worth of capital initially over a, a five-year horizon, you're saying, yeah, we're really here. We're really capable of competing at a international level. But imagine if there was a limitless supply of PHA products. It still doesn't quite solve the plastic problem, right? Because it's an environmental nightmare if we keep consuming at our current rate. And how do you balance the bringing in PHA and phasing out the other unfavorable plastics? You know, that's a, that's a question that I'm not sure that any of us have the correct answer. And I believe the way that's going to work is as solutions become apparent, 
then they'll be adopted by the you know by the leaders it's like any sort of new technology or new material you you have the leaders who begin to adopt it and they show the way for others and i don't think we know the answer today but i believe that over the next few years i think less than a decade you know our vision is within three to five years some of these leaders that we're working with are going to be showing the way they're going to set the example and then others are going to be inspired by that and with the help you know robert of yourself and your organization you know to you know to say hey kudos to these guys look what they're doing yep. uh, that leadership and that setting the example is going to lead to the answers to your questions about how do we do this how do we go from consuming more than we really need because we're so inefficient and and thinking about how do we just do a better job with not only the materials that we choose but the ways in which we begin to use those materials that, that do solve the problem and it's you know the old uh, sort of uh, trite uh, cliches about you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time or how do you eat whatever? You know, the problem is so massive yep. that I don't think any of us today can sit here and say, okay, guys, listen, A, B, C, one, two, three, here's how you do it. I think all we can do is start at a place that we know we can get some traction and then the people are going to learn from the leadership and the inspiration of people who are doing it. Yeah. Five years from now, we'll have a lot better answer. Yeah, I think it's so complex, the idea that we could have a lot of different substitute materials that are, you know, mimicking nature is is where we probably want to be. Humans tend to kind of do the thing of, okay, we're all going to go in this direction now, and this is our one thing that's going to solve everything. I always call that, it's like watching a bunch of uh, uh, five-year-olds play soccer. Yeah. You go, this is not <laughs> soccer, they're just chasing a ball all over the field, but right. it right. does tend to be how groups can work then again we're really only smart in groups and um, that's why the system is required frankly we've been talking about that it yeah. can't just be one person who says okay no. i'm going to do all my stuff with just pha and that's going to solve you know the bigger problem i think it's it's really important that everyone invest in thinking about helping the system change in its entirety sure and as far as you know the rallying cry for all this stuff i mean you know uh, let us know what we can do we're going to keep checking in with you uh again i just think it's incredible because you sift through the presumption and then you realize where the distractions are and then you get to a natural solution that is a massive massive undertaking and what i see in you kind sir is there's this surety with this mission of your life and it has been for a long time that when you're doing the right thing, you tend to get the energy you need. And, and there are many others. So, you know, as we work together, like you said, as a team and we learn in groups, I think we're going to see some really exciting advancements over the next, like I say, three to five years. And RWDC is, we're not stopping at PHA. We're making a number of other natural molecules that are going to be synergistic and additive to PHA because the problem is so large. We're, we're going to bring all these exciting, you know, um, toys to the party to, to <laughs> fix the problem. So, uh, I hope so. Glad to have you involved. We'll, we'll, we'll have fun sharing some of all these other new things, too, as they roll out of the pipeline. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. All right. Take care. Uh -huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Daniel Caraway.